Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Sometimes in some relationships, a person will utilize unforgiveness as a tool of self-protection. They weaponize unforgiveness, even if they do so unwittingly. They might hold on to unforgiveness because they have been hurt so many times by the same person. Usually it is a spouse. We see this a lot within marriages, sadly. They are frustrated. They are disappointed. They believe that there is no other recourse for them but a self-reliant means of self-protection. Suppose you sense this happening with a friend of yours. In that case, I want to encourage you to tread courageously and carefully as you help them to see how they could be complicating, even self-sabotaging, an already complicated matter. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas, and we're doing Life Over Coffee. I'm so glad that you are here. If you haven't been to our coffee shop, please do so. It is at lifeovercoffee.com. It is a huge sanctification center. It is in cyberspace, and so many of our resources are freely developed, produced, and provided for you. And so make your way over to lifeovercoffee.com, and by the way, you can check out what I'm about to share with you right now. I have titled this, The Power of Unforgiveness When Used as a Weapon. And so you can read everything I'm going to share with you in an article format. There is also a podcast that I have recorded and a video that you can watch. Like with so many of our resources, you can read, you can watch, or you can listen. You choose how you want to benefit from this resource. All right, so I want to talk about unforgiveness specifically when it is used as a weapon. And again, if this is happening within your marriage, I trust that this will put you on a path to resolve this issue. But I'm going to encourage you that you find help along the way, because sometimes there are some delicacies in trying to untangle these types of problems, especially within a marriage. When forgiveness is the right option, But the hurt person, the offended one, chooses unforgiveness. It could be a false security measure to protect themselves from future suffering. It won't work, at least not in the long term, and that is part of the deception. It is a short-term, instant-gratifying recourse to try to resolve a matter But it just won't work, not if we want a long-term sustainable solution. Unforgiveness is never the right answer. The person holding on to the anger and the hurt, they cannot see, or it could be that they're unwilling to see, how unforgiveness is self-prescribed cancer, and it will eat away at their unforgiving soul. Their unforgiveness suggests at least two things. One of those, I can frame it this way. I will not let you close to me to hurt me again. And so unforgiveness is almost like a barrier, a force field that they put up between them and the offending person. I will not let you close to hurt me again. And the second thing that it suggests is I will, let, I will not let you be free from what you did. It is both protective and punitive. 
no one should hold on to any sin, no matter how justified or how insecure they may sense themselves to be. They must understand that unforgiveness is a form of anger, and it will take revenge on the unsuspecting soul. It will tangle their soul in knots as they punish those who have hurt them. Have you ever been tempted to withhold forgiveness from someone? If you have, the best thing to do is to seek help from those who can walk with you through this process of letting go of self-punishment to your own soul and punitive anger toward the person who offended you. No matter what has happened to you, holding on to anger and unforgiveness will wear you down to a nub. It is as unwise as, as it is ungospel. Something our friends Biff and Mabel learned the hard way. Let me illustrate. Their marriage was your typical looks okay on the outside relationship. But the inside was full of loneliness and low-grade hostility toward each other until all hell broke loose in their marriage. The day the tables turned and Mabel became empowered by unforgiveness. You see, Biff was a likable guy. Every time they went to counseling, he and the counselor hit it off, which would infuriate Mabel. And I can't even recall how many times I have heard this in an actualized counseling situation. I am sharing with you a fictional story, but there are bits and pieces to this story. It is a compilation of many counseling sessions that I have had over the years. And this is just one of them where Biff, uh, the person who is culpable in the marriage primarily, is the likable guy within the counseling office. And Mabel was infuriated. It was one of the reasons she stopped going. She later said, why go? He will go. He'll put on his people-pleasing smile. And the counselor will wonder why I have a problem within 20 minutes. They like Biff because everybody likes Biff. They came to the same conclusion. Biff married a nagging discontent. And so why bother? So Mabel says... The consensus was that his perceived spiritual maturity and humble servant's heart were something others that they should emulate. When he wasn't running his moderately successful business, he volunteered at his local church, leading not one, but two men's Bible studies. And the pastor loved him because, well, I mean, let's just state the obvious here. Biff was free labor. But they also saw Biff as a model Christian, and it didn't help that they were too busy to look beyond the surface of his life. Besides, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and Biff never squeaked, except for one glaring problem. Mabel could not stand Biff. It was their hidden marital secret. She had lived with a low-grade hatred toward her husband for nearly 20 years. The only reasons that she would not leave him were, one, the stigma of divorce, she would say, what it would do to their children, or the hassle of starting over again, or God hates divorce, you know, she said sarcastically at one point. Mabel's issue with Biff was pretty straightforward. He was a hypocrite. 
Biff was a self-absorbed people pleaser who learned how to manage the gap between who he was facing the public and the person that he presented himself to be. Let me restate that. Biff was a self-absorbed people pleaser who learned how to manage the gap between who he was, his true inner self, and the person that he presented himself to be. The problem for Biff and Mabel was that he could not maintain his hypocrisy entirely. And as these things tend to go, the one place where he could not keep up the front was in the home, in the marriage. That was okay with Biff, mostly. I mean, he counted on Mabel not to spill the beans, and Mabel acquiesced because living in a lie was the path of least resistance. With no public chink in his spiritual armor, she silently suffered through it all. And though she had an occasional short fuse, in the depths of her heart, she knew something was more sinister in play. Give a hypocrite an inch, and he'll take a mile. The problem was that she could not pinpoint where it all led. Coupled with this low-grade anger toward Biff was her fear that whatever he was into would devastate her. And so that awareness gave her another reason not to look too deeply into Bill's life. For her, ignorance was an uncomfortable but acceptable bliss. It was late on a Monday afternoon when Mabel emptied the home office trash can that she noticed a receipt from a strip club. It was unmistakable. Her heart beat furiously and her mouth went dry. Her ignorance became knowledge and the news crushed her soul. Her tension was between walking out the door for good and confronting Biff with the truth that she had found in the trash. She chose to engage him. And not surprisingly, Biff was shocked Though he quickly regained his equilibrium and went into his people-pleasing routine, well, as you might imagine, Mabel was not impressed. She had seen that shtick too many times. She stood her ground. And after a few days of drawn-out arguments and denials and confrontations and threats, Biff finally came clean. He told Mabel what she later recalled as the worst news of her life. He was into pornography. She was devastated. In time, Biff went to counseling and came completely clean about his sin. And remarkably, he chose not to stick with his well-worn, people-pleasing routine. And guess what? He received favor from the Lord. This is what James says. He gives empowering favor to the humble, and God gave him what he needed to walk out genuine, authentic, practical, observable, measurable repentance. Biff always wanted to be free from his sin. He later said he was glad it came out because he did not have the integrity or the courage to let others know how he struggled. Mabel, on the other hand, was struggling. Even a year later, she was unwilling to forgive Biff. 
Mabel was angry. She was critical. She was bitter. She was self-justifying and self-righteous. This is one of the problems with victimization, that a, a person who is a legitimate victim, as Mabel was, uh, they can sanitize what happened to them and even moralize how they respond, even if they respond sinfully. Twelve months later, she would not let it go in her heart or in her marriage. Mabel had been hurting for two decades, 20 years. She has also been stewing in anger for most of that time. From her perspective, forgiveness just seemed too easy for Biff. Even when others made heartfelt appeals for her to let it go, she would not relent. She knew she was right, or... She wanted others to believe that she was right. She felt people did not understand. How could they? They did not live with Biff for 20 years, and only a few knew the soul-rending effect porn could have on a spouse. She saw Biff for who he was, a hypocritical fool, which soured her belief in his genuine repentance. As she said, he did not willingly confess his sins. I caught him. She believed he probably would have never confessed his sin if she had not found the strip club receipt. Now, she was more than likely correct. I mean, Biff even said as much. And though he wanted help, he was too weak, he was too immature in his faith to trust God enough with the most powerful and the darkest secret of his life. Plus, he enjoyed his shiny Christian reputation. Mabel did say that she had forgiven him, but there was something in her attitude and her actions that would not support her claim. I mean, even in small group, you could see the pink elephant floating around the room. There was something amiss, even though she said that she had forgiven him. During counseling, Mabel's counselor talked to her about her unwillingness to forgive. The actual truth eventually came out. Her belief that she lived alone her entire marriage and that God never intervened in the nightmare. Mabel was hurt, and Mabel felt it wasn't proportionately equitable to forgive after a year when she repeatedly suffered for more than 20 years. The more sinister side of Mabel believed that if she forgave Biff for his sin, it would be like he had never sinned. From her perspective, he would get off free and clear, and the door of her nightmare would close as though it had never happened. It is almost if I forgive him, people will forget this and we'll go on down the road, but I am still reverberating from what happened to me but no one will know, no one would care, no one would give another thought to it. Holding on to unforgiveness is a way of not only reminding herself of what Biff did, but to let others know too. That was not terrible for, or not tenable for Mabel to forgive him. She was bitter and not ready to forget her hurt. In some ways, her hurt was a form of security. It was a reminder that kept her vigilant about what a person could do to her. She was like an institutionalized convict. She couldn't live in any other place but the prison of unforgiveness. Biff, indeed, repented of his sin, 
And even though he did not initially confess it, once it was in the open, he admitted everything. Mabel was right. He was caught. He did not come humbly, hat in hand, volitionally giving up this information. By the way, it reminds me, in a sense, of David's lack of confession in his life until Nathan came and confronted him. It could be that what Mabel found in that trash can was God imposing himself on Bill's life because he was not mature enough to do it himself. Well, David was not either, and so providentially God guided Nathan, and perhaps he guided Mabel too, to bring this news to the light so that Biff could be free because the truth is he wanted to be free, but he lacked the courage to take those steps. Mabel was not impressed by his remorse and was unwilling to let him off the hook. Now, she knew enough about God and the gospel to realize that forgiving someone, it was like saying this. Let me share a script of, of what forgiveness does sound like, and this is what Mabel should come to say eventually, and I hope that she does. She should say, quote, I will obey God and forgive you for your sin regardless of what you have done to me. Because of the power of forgiveness, it neutralizes the sin, and we will work on the damage done. I realize that what I have done to my Savior is far worse than what you have done to me or could ever do to me. And even though what you have done to me has been devastating, nevertheless, I will not hold this over your head any longer. But I will make myself vulnerable to the Lord, knowing that you could hurt me again. In essence, I trust God's sovereign care over my life and His method of conflict resolution rather than my own. I choose to be obedient to Him. I forgive you. Now that is the hope that Mabel would come to that type of acknowledgement and confession so that they can be free from the sin as the one who is offended and the offender. That she not weaponizes unforgiveness in such a way to protect herself from being hurt again and as a way to leech out punishment for Biff because of her long-standing bitterness and anger toward him. Her unwillingness to forgive Biff was a common-sense, man-centered way of protecting herself, and that is an understandable temptation that I know every one of us, we get it. We know what is going on in her heart. It is legitimate anger and legitimate fear. And though she would not say it, Mabel believed that she would not be vulnerable as long as she could hold Biff's sin over his head. And that's the quiet part that she would never say aloud. She was not grasping how her unforgiveness was forcing her head under the waters of bitterness. The power of the gospel is freely extending forgiveness to offenders, either transactionally, and that is where uh, one person confesses and the other person forgives. They are transacting forgiveness. And this is exactly what Biff and Mabel could do in this scenario. Or freely extending forgiveness to offenders attitudinally. Attitudinally is when you release them in your heart, though they have yet to be released because they haven't confessed it. 
Attitudinal forgiveness releases you from the prison of what they did to you, even though it doesn't release them because there is no transaction. But either way, the power of the gospel is freely extending forgiveness to offenders either transactionally or attitudinally. The power of unforgiveness is choosing not to release yourself attitudinally or the other person transactionally from what happened. And again, in this case, Biff wants that transactional forgiveness because he has genuinely repented. Mabel essentially was saying that since God did not come through for me for 20 years, well, she was going to take matters into her own hands. Her self-protective shield of unforgiveness was an attempt to accomplish at least three things. Number one, she was punishing Biff for all the years that he had punished her. Number two, she was protecting herself from ever being hurt again. Of course, she was not protecting herself at all. And then number three, she was perverting the gospel. Sin disorients and distorts our thinking. Sin does not let God be God. But it entices us to assume the role of godness, little G-O-D. Mabel was playing God. She was holding Biff's sin over his head while mocking the cross. The father's punishment of his son on the cross was insufficient for Mabel. While genuinely believing the gospel, she could not fully embrace its cleansing and freeing power. Grace seemed too easy. What Mabel did not understand fully is that grace has never been effortless. It's never been easy. For her to have the grace to forgive, it cost Jesus Christ his life. The infinite Father punished the Son for an infinite crime. The Son paid an infinite price for that infinite crime. Biff and Mabel received infinite forgiveness for those infinite crimes. Mabel was unwilling to accept the death of Christ as a sufficient payment to cover Biff's sin. She was treating her husband in a way that God did not treat her when she asked for forgiveness for the crime she committed against him. The irony in this story is that Biff is free. He genuinely repented. God had released him because the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was sufficient to cover, to, to obliterate, to forgive Biff of his sin as he's living genuine repentance. And that's the irony. Mabel is the one that's in prison she is the victim. She's the offended one. But she is the one that's in prison, and the offender is walking free because he is living in the freedom and the power of the gospel. Forgiving Biff does not say that what he did to her does not matter. It also does not let him off the hook because Biff needs help. He was caught, he confessed, he asked for forgiveness, but he is starting to walk out repentance. Remember, sin has captured him for many years, multiple decades, and that is not how sin leaves us. 
temptation will continue to lure him into sin. If Mabel truly wants to keep from being hurt again, then she's got to get on board. She has to do the work God's way, and that would begin by forgiving him. Being Biff's enemy, it worsens matters, complicating his temptation, uh, creating more dysfunction in their marriage, and of course imprisoning her soul. Forgiving Biff will release both of them for what has been hindering them for so long, while positioning them to begin the process of actual restoration, the very thing that Mabel has been wanting for two decades. Now she is on the cusp of it, but she's holding on to unforgiveness. I've titled this, The Power of Unforgiveness, when used as a weapon. You're welcome to read this entire article word for word as I've shared it with you at lifeovercoffee.com. Listen to the podcast. You can watch the video. This is a free resource for you, and I would love for you to share it with your friends. I'm going to wrap up, but I do want to ask you a few questions, and I trust that it will get the ball rolling as far as applying this to your life or maybe someone that you are helping. Did you know that there are many biblical counselors and disciple makers who use our resources for this purpose as tools, as homework assignments to help people to see from another perspective what they may be doing to themselves, as this article clearly lays out. Question number one, who has hurt you? Now, I know that someone has because we hurt people. You've hurt people, and people have hurt you. This is a common reality for all of us, sadly, regrettably. We live in a fallen world. We do fallen things. And so, who has hurt you? What did they do? And maybe the more important question, how do you think about them and then add to that, are you free from what they did? Or do you continue to harbor a sinful attitude toward them? Just be honest with these questions. There's no pass or fail here. There's no body judging you whatsoever, but it's just an honest assessment. Has someone hurt you? Well, of course they have. What did they do? How do you think about them? Are you free from what they did, or are you still harboring some kind of sinful attitude toward them? Maybe you're not sure, you're unsure how to answer that question. Uh, perhaps it would benefit you to talk to a friend of yours who won't just rubber stamp you, but but with courage they will help you say, hey, you know, the way that you talk about John Doe over there, or the way that you talk about Biff, or the way that you talk about Mabel, I may be wrong, but it appears that you're still harboring a sinful attitude toward them. Having that assessment from another set of eyes and ears could benefit you, and maybe it would highlight something that's going on in your heart that's creating a snag in your soul. Question number two, are you holding on to any unforgiveness toward anyone? And if you are, what does unforgiveness reveal about your understanding of the gospel? You remember infinite God punishing the Son for an infinite crime so that we could receive infinite forgiveness, but yet we are unwilling to cooperate with God in extending forgiveness to someone who has hurt us? 
Now, again, it could be that the only kind of forgiveness that you can extend is an attitude of forgiveness that releases you from the prison of hurt, so you're not living in that victim mindset any longer, though the person who did whatever to you will never be free until they ask God to free them and ask you for your forgiveness. But you want to be free. And if you're holding on to unforgiveness, what does that reveal about your understanding of the gospel? Question number three. If God has forgiven you of your sins, why would it complicate a person's soul to hold on to unforgiveness in light of this gospel truth? I mean, if you have been forgiven, God has shown great mercy to you. Just think for just a moment of what it would be like to not enjoy the full freedom of the gospel because you're holding on to unforgiveness. Think about how it can wreak havoc in a person's soul. Now, maybe that's not you, but I would imagine that most of you know someone who is struggling this way. And you may not know the particulars of what they are going through because you don't know that they're harboring bitterness or unforgiveness toward anyone. But if you see a person who is caught in some kind of relationship snag with another individual, maybe you want to tease out some of the things that I've shared with you here because holding on to unforgiveness in light of the gospel truth that we can be free not only free that God grants us, but we can be free from what others do to us, at least attitudinally, it doesn't make sense why we would continue to complicate these matters. Question number four. Would you spend some time just talking about the irony of a person free from their sin, but the victim of their sin continues to harbor, continues to operate in them? Now, if you are that person... Uh, that, that you have been uh, free uh, from their sin, uh, that, that like in Biff's situation, but in Mabel's case, she continues to harbor sin in her heart that she is not experiencing that freedom. Just think through the complexity of what might be happening in Mabel's soul. Number five, do you see how unforgiveness hinders receiving help a person needs? And it hinders the other person's need to mature in Christ. The unforgiveness that Mabel has is hindering her from what she needs. And of course, it's hindering their relationship. It's hindering Biff's uh, need to mature in Christ. Biff has been struggling with pornography for a long time now. He has now come into the light. He has repented of that genuinely, but he's still a caught person. He's still lured by temptation. And now Mabel is complicating that problem because she is holding on to unforgiveness. Do you see how unforgiveness hinders receiving the help the person needs? It hinders their need to mature in Christ. Mabel is complicating their marriage. Number six, if you're hurting from what someone did to you, will you find help today to begin walking through any unwillingness to forgive, either attitudinally or transactionally, the person who hurt you? This is a big deal. This unforgiveness and forgiveness are uh, the one of the number one ten, one of the 
most common tensions in relationships. Holding on to unforgiveness is one of the most common tensions in relationships because we've been hurt and we just don't have a process of working through it. And Mabel cannot see how she's complicating her marriage. And there's so much irony here, as I mentioned. She's been praying for this kind of restoration in her marriage for 20 years. God, in His mercy, has brought this out into the light, but now she's stuck by by how it has transpired. And that is a legitimate stuckness in so I'm not being mean or unkind toward her. She is legitimately stuck. She needs our compassion, but she also needs courage, uh, courageous people to come alongside her to walk her through this because it is quite the complicated matter. But she is so close to getting all of her prayers answered regarding her marriage. Biff is on the verge of walking in true freedom. Mabel can come along and, and really help that as she cooperates with God, and they can get to a beautiful place of restoration. I've titled this, The Power of Unforgiveness When Used as a Weapon. Again, if we can help you, please go to our sanctification center at lifeovercoffee.com. Type in the word forgiveness or the word unforgiveness or perhaps attitudinal or maybe the word transactional, and you will find all sorts of content that you can read, watch, and listen that will help you to continue to tease out this idea. For those of you who are interested in helping folks uh, to grow in your skill of disciple-making, perhaps you would be interested in our Mastermind program. Our Mastermind program is 100% online. You don't have to travel anywhere, and we customize our care to you. We do not do group training because every person is unique. And so we customize our care to the person who is going through the mastermind course, the unique student. And so if this is a good season for you to dedicate some time to do an all online course, two or three years, it is self-paced depending on your pace, maybe the Mastermind program would be a good fit for you. There's information on our website at Life Over Coffee. Just go to the courses section and you can read the informational um, pages about the Mastermind program and learn all about it. And then after you go through all that, all that content, if you have any more questions, just write us. We have a get in touch feature in the footer on every page of the website. So just click it. It'll go right to support and we will respond to you promptly. The title of this, The Power of Unforgiveness When Used as a Weapon. Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.